Book One, Chapter Eleven of Ben Hur. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Ben Hur, A Tale of the Christ by Lew Wallace. Book One, Chapter Eleven. A mile and a half, it may be two miles, southeast of Bethlehem. There is a plain separated from the town by an intervening swell of the mountain. Besides being well sheltered from the north winds, the vale was covered with a growth of sycamore, dwarf oak, and pine trees, while in the glens and ravines adjoining there were thickets of olive and mulberry, all at this season of the year invaluable for the support of sheep, goats, and cattle, of which the wandering flocks consisted. At the side farthest from the town, close under a bluff, there was an extensive mara, or sheepcote, ages old. In some long-forgotten foray, the building had been unroofed and almost demolished. The enclosure attached to it remained intact, however, and that was of more importance to the shepherds who drove their charges thither than the house itself. The stone wall around the lot was high as a man's head, yet not so high but that sometimes a panther, or a lion, hungering from the wilderness, leaped boldly in. On the inner side of the wall, and as an additional security against the constant danger, a hedge of the remnants had been planted, an invention so successful that now a sparrow could hardly penetrate the overtopping branches, armed as they were with great clusters of thorns hard as spikes. The day of the occurrences which occupy the preceding chapters, a number of shepherds, seeking fresh walks for their flocks, led them up to this plain, and from early morning the groves had been made to ring with calls, and the blows of axes, and the bleating of sheep and goats, the tinkling of bells, the lowing of cattle, and the barking of dogs. When the sun went down they led the way to the Mara, and by nightfall had everything safe in the field. Then they kindled a fire down by the gate, partook of their humble supper, and sat down to rest and talk, leaving one on watch. There were six of these men, omitting the watchman, and after a while they assembled in a group near the fire, some sitting, some lying prone. As they went bareheaded habitually, their hair stood out in thick, coarse, sunburnt shocks, their beard covered their throats and fell in mats down the breast. Mantles of the skin of kids and lambs, with the fleece on, wrapped them from neck to knee, leaving the arms exposed. Broad belts girthed the rude garments to their waists. Their sandals were of the coarsest quality. From their right shoulders hung scripts containing food and selected stones for slings, with which they were armed. On the ground near each one lay his crook, a symbol of his calling, and a weapon of offence. Such were the shepherds of Judea. In appearance, rough and savage as the gaunt dog sitting with them around the blaze. In fact, simple-minded, tender-hearted, effects due in part to the primitive life they led, but chiefly to their constant care of things lovable and helpless. They rested and talked, and their talk was all about their flocks, a dull theme to the world, yet a theme which was all the world to them. If in narrative they dwelt long upon affairs of trifling moment, 
if one of them omitted nothing of detail in recounting the loss of a lamb, the relation between him and the unfortunate should be remembered. At birth it became his charge, his to keep all its days, to help over the floods, to carry down the hollows, to name and train. It was to be his companion, his object of thought and interest, the subject of his will. It was to enliven and share his wanderings. In its defence he might be called on to face the lion or robber, to die. The great events, such as blotted out nations and changed the mastery of the world, were trifles to them, if perchance they came to their knowledge. Of what Herod was doing in this city or that, building palaces and gymnasia, and indulging forbidden practices, they occasionally heard. As was her habit in those days, Rome did not wait for people slow to inquire about her. She came to them. Over the hills along which he was leading his lagging herd, or in the fastnesses in which he was hiding them, not unfrequently the shepherd was startled by the blare of trumpets, and, peering out, beheld a cohort, sometimes a legion, in march. And when the glittering crests were gone, and the excitement incident to the intrusion over, he bent himself to evolve the meaning of the eagles and gilded globes of the soldiery, and the charm of a life so the opposite of his own. Yet these men, rude and simple as they were, had a knowledge and a wisdom of their own. On Sabbaths they were accustomed to purify themselves, and go up into the synagogues, and sit on the benches farthest from the ark. When the Chazan bore the Torah round, none kissed it with greater zest. When the Shelyach read the text, none listened to the interpreter with more absolute faith, and none took away with them more of the elder's sermon, or gave it more thought afterwards. In a verse of the Shema they found all the learning and all the law of their simple lives, that their Lord was one God, that they must love Him with all their souls. And they loved Him, and such was their wisdom, surpassing that of kings. While they talked, and before the first watch was over, one by one the shepherds went to sleep, each lying where he had sat. The night, like most nights of the winter season in the hill country, was clear, crisp, and sparkling with stars. There was no wind. The atmosphere seemed never so pure, and the stillness was more than silence. It was a holy hush, a warning that heaven was stooping low to whisper some good thing to the listening earth. By the gate, hugging his mantle close, the watchman walked. At times he stopped, attracted by a stir among the sleeping herds, or by a jackal's cry off on the mountainside. The midnight was slow coming to him, but at last it came. His task was done, now for the dreamless sleep with which labour blesses its wearied children. He moved towards the fire, but paused. A light was breaking around him, soft and white, like the moon's. He waited breathlessly. The light deepened. Things before invisible came to view. He saw the whole field and all it sheltered, a chill sharper than that of the frosty air, a chill of fear, smote him. He looked up, 
The stars were gone. The light was dropping as from a window in the sky. As he looked, it became a splendor. Then, in terror, he cried, "'Awake! Awake!' Up sprang the dogs, and howling, ran away. The herds rushed together, bewildered. The men clambered to their feet, weapons in hand. "'What is it?' they asked in one voice. "'See!' cried the watchman. "'The sky is on fire!' Suddenly the light became intolerably bright, and they covered their eyes and dropped upon their knees. Then, as their souls shrank with fear, they fell upon their faces blind and fainting, and would have died had not a voice said to them, "'Fear not!' And they listened. "'Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people.' The voice, in sweetness and soothing more than human, and low and clear, penetrated all their being, and filled them with assurance. They rose upon their knees, and, looking worshipfully, beheld in the centre of a great glory the appearance of a man, clad in a robe intensely white. Above its shoulders towered the tops of wings, shining and folded. A star over its forehead glowed with steady lustre, brilliant as Hesperus, its hands were stretched towards them in blessing. Its face was serene and divinely beautiful. They had often heard, and in their simple way, talked of angels. And they doubted not now, but said in their hearts, The glory of God is about us, and this is he who of old came to the prophet by the river of Ulai. Directly the angel continued, for unto you is born this day, in the city of David, a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. Again there was a rest, while the words sank into their minds. And this shall be a sign unto you, the annunciator said next. Ye shall find the babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The herald spoke not again. His good tidings were told. Yet he stayed a while. Suddenly the light, of which he seemed the centre, turned roseate and began to tremble. Then up, far as the men could see, there was flashing of white wings, and coming and going of radiant forms, and voices as of a multitude chanting in unison, "'Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace!' Good will towards men. Not once the praise, but many times. Then the herald raised his eyes as seeking approval of one far off. His wings stirred, and spread slowly and majestically. On their upper side white as snow, in the shadow very tinted, like mother-of-pearl. When they were expanded many cubits beyond his stature, he arose lightly, and without effort floated out of view taking the light up with him. Long after he was gone, down from the sky fell the refrain in measure, mellowed by distance, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will towards men. When the shepherds came fully to their senses, they stared at each other stupidly, until one of them said, 
It was Gabriel, the Lord's messenger unto men. None answered. Christ the Lord is born, said he not so? Then another recovered his voice and replied, That is what he said. And did he not also say, In the city of David, which is our Bethlehem yonder, and that we should find him a babe in swaddling clothes? And lying in a manger. The first speaker gazed into the fire thoughtfully, but at length said, like one possessed of a sudden resolve, There is but one place in Bethlehem where there are mangers, but one, and that is in the cave near the old Khan. Brethren, let us go see this thing which has come to pass. The priests and doctors have been a long time looking for the Christ. Now he is born, and the Lord has given us a sign by which to know him. Let us go up and worship him. But the flocks! The Lord will take care of them. Let us make haste. Then they all arose and left the Merah. Around the mountain, and through the town they passed, and came to the gate of the Khan, where there was a man on watch. "'What would you have?' he asked. "'We have seen and heard great things to-night,' they replied. "'Well, we too have seen great things, but heard nothing. What did you hear?' "'Let us go down to the cave in the enclosure, that we may be sure. Then we will tell you all. Come with us, and see for yourself.' "'It is a fool's errand.' "'No, no, the Christ is born.' "'The Christ! How do you know?' "'Let us go and see first. The man laughed scornfully. <laughs> "'The Christ, indeed! How are you to know him?' "'He was born this night, and is now lying in a manger, so we were told, and there is but one place in Bethlehem with mangers.' "'The cave?' "'Yes, come with us.' They went through the courtyard without notice, although there were some up even then talking about the wonderful light. The door of the cavern was open. A lantern was burning within, and they entered unceremoniously. "'I give you peace,' the watchman said to Joseph and the Beth Dagonite. "'Here are people looking for a child born this night.' whom they are to know by finding him in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. For a moment the face of the stolid Nazarene was moved. Turning away, he said, The child is here. They were led to one of the mangers, and there the child was. The lantern was brought, and the shepherds stood by mute. The little one made no sign. It was as others just born. "'Where is the mother?' asked the watchman. One of the women took the baby, and went to Mary, lying near, and put it in her arms. Then the bystanders collected about the two. "'It is the Christ,' said a shepherd at last. "'The Christ!' they all repeated, falling upon their knees in worship. One of them repeated several times over, "'It is the Lord!' and his glory is above the earth and heaven. And the simple men, never doubting, kissed the hem of the mother's robe, and with joyful faces departed. 
In the Khan, to all the people aroused and pressing about them, they told their story. And through the town, and all the way back to the Mara, they chanted the refrain of the angels, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will towards men. The story went abroad, confirmed by the light so generally seen, and the next day, and for days thereafter, the cave was visited by curious crowds, of whom some believed, though the greater part laughed and mocked. End of chapter.